Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Magic Story Podcast, where we go behind the scenes with the people who create the worlds and characters of Magic the Gathering. I'm Blake Rasmussen, and I'll be your host, but most of the talking today will come from our super awesome guests, Allison Lures and Kelly Diggs, two very important members of the creative team. Uh, they'll be answering a slew of semi-random fan-submitted questions, so welcome Allison and Kelly. Hi there. Hi. So let's just kick this off. We've got a bunch of questions to go through. They're all kind of random. Bring it. All right. So how is the team approaching stories for supplemental products in the future? Commander Anthologies is getting one. Can we expect a trend? Uh, the answer is heck yes, you can expect a trend. Uh, one of the biggest complaints that we get is, why are there huge gaps in between when stories come out? Uh, we agree, that's dumb, and we should give you more stuff. Uh, so uh, the goal is to provide more stories uh, as frequently as we are able to, which is right now, once a week. Um, so yeah, we're expecting to try and do more stories for more supplemental products to kind of give fans a look at what's happening elsewhere in the multiverse that still may connect to the story at large. This is something we get asked for a lot. And I mean, truthfully, you guys want to hear stories about other stuff. We want to tell all of the stories. Like, if we could, we would tell every story, everything you've asked for, uh, almost. Uh, We (laughs) we would tell it. Um, It's 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 just been a question of what we have to prioritize. But uh, you'll you'll see more from us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, There are uh, members of the team who are committed to stories, uh, and so yeah, uh, we we want to find out what the randos in the multiverse are up to. So yeah. Now, when people listen to this, the Commander Anthology story is going to be running the next week. Allison, is there any kind of sneak peek you can give people? Ooh, um, yeah. Uh, Let's see. I I, I would say to expect something kind of slimy, kind of chittery, kind of gross. All right. Yeah. Uh, moving right along to the next random question. Uh, we're jumping all over the place. Why haven't you told us when the mending was? Are you planning some big reveal or is it just unimportant? Kelly, would you like to take this away? Uh, like is a strong word, but sure. Master um, of the mending? So uh, so <laughs> for those for those listeners who are not aware, the mending uh, was an event um, about 10 years ago in real world time and sometime more than that in in world time um, where the, the nature of the multiverse of magic changed a great deal. The nature of planeswalkers changed a great deal. It was a really watershed moment in story. Pre-mending and post-mending is a big divide. Um, After the mending, we picked up with post-mending stories, and we really never said how long it had been. It had clearly been some time, um, but but we never said how long. Uh, So to to answer the question, uh, the second question first, are we planning some big reveal or is it just unimportant? Uh, It's not that it's unimportant. It's that uh, if we're going to establish it, my preference would always be to establish it within the text, and it really hasn't come up. There are very few of our characters actually have a solid idea of how long it's been and, and whether that's important. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's not a big reveal. Um, it's been I'll, – I'll tell you. It has been about 60 years. It has been about 60 years since the mending. There are clues out there now to narrow it into the 40 to 80 range, um, but but s- about 60 is the number we've been working with. Yeah. If you're paying attention, you will have noticed that in Kaladesh, uh, the time when everything involving Aether happened, the great Aether boom, was around 60 years ago. Uh, the time span just kind of uh, – it, it fits It fits right about there. Yep. So that's uh, – ta-da. That's yep. it. 
Great. Uh, well, let's keep bouncing around. Uh, Tamio is a pretty popular character. Uh, the kids that we saw in her story with the Johnny that everybody thought was the most adorable thing ever. Um, are those Tamio's kids? And is she married? And has she given birth to children? Oh, Tamio, the science mom. Yeah, those are her biological kids. Um, and uh, I do not believe she is married married, uh, but that is her partner in the back. Easy enough. Yep. Straightforward. Um, I, I just, I love how random these questions are. We just went from like, hey, random. remember that time that the multiverse literally changed forever to like, what's, what about science mom? Like, tell us about her family. It's, I really like the spread of these questions. Uh, this one's at least a little bit related because uh, <laughs> Tamio is a, is a non-Gatewatch planeswalker. Mm-hmm. And we had several people asking us if we were going to see uh, planeswalkers and other main story characters other than the Gatewatch more often. Yes, an enthusiastic yes. Yes, yes. Very um, yes. Uh, what what we have been doing recently um, has has really been focused on establishing the Gatewatch uh, as an important group of planeswalkers and uh, a, a background a background to the multiverse, a kind of baseline. Um, but they're they're not all that you're going to see. There is a lot else going on, and um, f- from there there already has been. But from here on out, there you, you will see more as well. Mm-hmm. So that many people are going to see as a as a positive change in the story. So here's my awkward transition. Uh, <laughs> the next question is, what are the most positive changes you've seen occur within the magic story or the storytelling process since you started working on it? Well, I guess I started working on it a few months ago. So, so I, <laughs> uh, so I, I haven't – I'm not really sure if I'm the best one to answer this other than, well, I've, I've been sitting in my desk and I've been writing things – more than I ever have in my life. So I think that's a positive change from what I was doing before, which is not this job. Kelly, maybe that's a better question for you. Uh, so one positive change is that you've joined our team, Allison. Oh, um, and, and in fact, you know, we have a great team of people uh, working on Magic Story. Um, so uh, I've, been, I've been working on Magic Story for uh, three or four years now, um, four, four or five, I don't know, four-ish years. Um, and I've been uh, working at Wizards in close proximity to this story for quite a bit longer than that. Um, in that time, what I have really seen as the most positive change is the move from, uh, from novels and uh, hiding the story in novels that only some mm. people read to putting the story on our website under uh, the label, it was Uncharted Realms, now Magic Story. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and bringing the writing of it in-house so that the people who have crafted the story mm-hmm. can be the ones who are bringing it to you um, and just getting it out there to way, way more people than we were ever able to before, getting to uh, hook it in with the card set more tightly than we've been able to in a long time. Um, and and just bring that to you week after week and have that be a, a real focal point for uh, the Storyline fan community. Right. And the pipeline between what goes into making a novel and what goes into making uh, the stories that we tell are two entirely different things. Uh, and not to mention that the nature of uh, publishing and uh, just like the fiction industry as a whole has changed a lot in the last couple of years. Yep. Um, yeah, the, the readership that we do get now for our story is, you know, a lot more people are uh, familiar with the story and with the characters because it's free and it's online. And if you are near a thing that can access the internet, you can read it. Uh, and I, I think that availability is the most important thing that we have for our story. Great. Well, now you've both 
written a number of those stories. Uh, which characters do each of you find the most fun or interesting to write? Ew. And there's a second part to this question. Uh, <laughs> how do you find a character's voice? Mm-hmm. Let's see. I, I think I answered this on my last one. Taste is really fun, but I think that Gisa and Garolf were like the most fun that I have had writing a character. Uh, just because they are so disconnected from reality uh, in in a way that's really fun and really gross to explore. I I love finding the border between uh, discomfort uh, in in characters. Like I, I like making my audience feel a little uncomfortable reading about something, and I feel like Gisa and Girl f- find that balance of wow, there's so much fun, but oh my god, I would never want to be in the same room as these two people. Uh, Speaking yeah. of uncomfortable blue-black pairings, um, my very favorite characters to write are Jason and Liliana uh, oh, t- together as yeah. a pair. Oh um, that is just when I, when I am working on a on a Jason Liliana story when it's dialogue between the two of them and they're talking, it just it just flies. It flies oh, from yeah. my fingertips. Oh, yeah. There is no easier writing for me to do than those two making each mm-hmm. other miserable. Um, you know, I'm 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 drawing on some of my own life experiences oh, to no. write about that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, geez. so it's it just but it but at a certain distance and yeah. and a remove of irony that makes it really really enjoyable. Wait, to write are them. you are you Jace or Liliana in that scenario? Oh, uh, no comment, Kelly. <laughs> oh. Like, what's what's fascinating to me about them, and Kelly and I have had, like, hours-long discussions about these two because they're fascinating, is that Jason Liliana's relationship is not really a healthy one. Like, that is not a successful relationship by any means whatsoever. Uh, But... What makes them fascinating is that I think a lot of people can relate to being in that kind of a relationship where you care so much about someone, but they are not the right person for you to be with. And I, I really look forward to Jace having that realization of, wow, this person I care about maybe isn't the best like thing to hitch my horse to, you know? Yeah, yeah there, there, there is a lot that's wrong with them yeah. together, but... Uh, there is also something that draws each of them to the other, and I could talk for a long time about what what I think that is. But I, absolutely, I, I can I can say that writing that and trying to bring out that tension of I know I'm not doing the right thing here, but there is a thing that draws me to this. Yeah, I, totally. I love it. Yeah, I mean their their whole past is based on a uh, is based on deception, where mm-hmm. both of them owned up to it, and both of them realized what had happened. Liliana apologized, and they they both decided, you know what, maybe we can move past this. We both, you know, recognize the wrong that each other has done, but maybe we can forge something else there. And spoilers, they can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> it wasn't a very good. Apology. It wasn't a very good approach. Uh, but yeah, I I really look forward to uh, being able to watch this play out, and it's because we're able to focus on these characters that we can watch this uh, this story unfold. So, yeah, I we, seriously, Kelly and I have had, like, hours-long lunches yep. Yep. Uh, gushing over how much we love writing these these two people. So, yeah. Incidentally, that answered another question that oh. a reader had that asked about what's going on with Liliana and Jace, which oh, I think yeah. you guys pretty much covered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and hints about what's next for them. It sounded like things and stuff. Developments, yeah. you know? Developments, yeah. 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 Plot points. Plot points. Mm. Arcs. Some people change. Some people don't. Isn't it wild? Things happen. Mm -hmm. I know. That's (laughs) mm going to be crazy. Um, All right. So let's go back in our Wayback Machine again to the world of Theros. Uh, Someone was really curious, what's up with Xenagos? Did he die? Did he de-spark? There's a lot of suppositions in here. What what, what, what happened 
to Xenagos. So uh, Xenagos, if you don't know, was a planeswalker who became a Theros god. Um, god of parties. God of awesome. parties. Yeah. Um, they were missing that in their pantheon, really, and he brought a good time to Heck Theros. Yeah. Uh, and he was struck down by Elspeth with a weapon blessed by the sun god. Um, he fell from Nyx as he died. Um, and the answer to that question is it was deliberately left ambiguous. Um, when a god dies on Theros, they just unravel. When a mortal dies, they go to the underworld. Um, how far down on his fall did he die? What was happening to him metaphysically as he fell? Totally, totally ambiguous. And um, when and if we go back to Theros, I will be very interested to see what what remnant of Xanagos we do find. Everyone talks about Elspeth. We know that Elspeth is in the underworld, waiting perhaps for a chance to come out. But but Xanagos, we really don't know. And I find that very interesting, more dun, interesting, dun, dun, really. I just realized now how brilliant it is that the god of parties was killed by something blessed by the sun. Yeah. Of course the sun yeah, kills parties. Yeah, of course the sun, the sun <laughs> the kills sun parties. The sun kills all parties. I oh bet he god. had a hell of a headache. Amazing. Ah, oh, poor yeah. guy. Yeah. Have some black coffee. Take yeah. a shower. You'll be fine. Yeah. Also, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he is dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We'll stay with we'll stay with multicolored planeswalkers for a thousand, Alex. Um, so, <laughs> next question is: Nissa dipping into blue made me realize that I'd love to know the process behind having a planeswalker or legendary creature shift colors. Mm. So we've had a few of those in the past. Johnny's changed colors a couple times. Mm-hmm. Tezzeret mm-hmm. shifted once. Sarkin, who knows what color he is today? Uh, Garrick, you know, got a little black mana. Uh, so is this? a decision that creative makes for the story or does it start on the design end somewhere in between what what's the process for those uh so i'll give you a little peek behind the curtain um we make a game we work on the story for a game and um most parts of it are uh most parts of the creative are touched by the game and many parts of the game are touched by the creative uh those two things are constantly influencing each other our job is to make it seem like every single creative choice we make is seamlessly the result of itself and not of the game. Um, so how does it happen? It's different every time. Um, sometimes sometimes there are mechanical needs for a planeswalker of a certain color pair, and we go, gosh, you know, who is that? We don't have anybody who's green, red, and blue. What are we going to do? Um, I don't actually remember which one, which way that went specifically, actually, because, it, it, again, it's different every time. Um, but... Uh, there are times when it reflects absolutely a, a deep personal change in the character, um, not necessarily a permanent one. Uh, I think it's a very open question what Nissa will, what Nissa will be the next time we see her. Um, but, uh, but a deep personal change in the, in the character. There are other times um, a Johnny Vengeant being red-white would be an example where it represents something more like a, a moment in time. Um, it is something we try not to do lightly. It's something we talk about a lot. To what extent does it reflect a personality shift? To, to what extent does it reflect a philosophy shift? To what extent does it reflect access to additional magical abilities in that in that added color? Um, but uh, particularly for uh, for our, our core characters, uh, it's something it's something we don't do lightly. And it's something you shouldn't expect to see too much. Yeah, frequently I see people respond to the stories with, "Oh, so and so is acting really red." Does that mean mm-hmm. that? Go- no, 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 no. That that's not uh, personality. Really brief personality shifts, or just like having a deep personality, doesn't often reflect uh, that a character is going to be swapping colors like really quickly. Yeah, Jace gets to get mad, and there, there, yeah. I, I, there are there are some comments I see uh, that sort of seem to mistake, uh, especially our monocolored 
characters for for color pie robots for you know yeah, if you're absolutely. blue you are spock and that's just not true jace is not spock and he uh in fact feels things very deeply at least some things um mm-hmm. what he feels and what he feels that about um is pretty heavily informed by his by his color affiliation but jace getting mad does not make him red and that is not what a color shift represents right and a story should always have characters that are allowed to have depth otherwise it would just sort of be a puppet show Mm -hmm. and uh, i I think we all would like to give ourselves a little bit more credit than that um but yeah uh, the, the depth of character doesn't necessarily have to mean that they are all five colors at once um, yeah. For me, at least, uh, color representation comes more in intentions and actions uh, versus what a person is feeling in that particular moment. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, now, you both clearly are very passionate about your jobs. You love your jobs. Uh, this listener basically wants to know how to take your jobs from you. Um, <laughs> so how does, one, how does one get experience in the field, uh, and what is a good place to start before jumping into a creative position at a company like Wizards? Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I come from a, a like strict creative background. Uh, so I majored in theater with a focus on performance and playwriting. After I graduated, I founded my own theater company, and I've been writing and performing in Seattle since I moved here uh, like six or seven years ago. Uh, my The biggest advice I can give you is that there is no one good way to land a job that you want, any job. There's no one thing that you need to do. What you need to do is have a direction in mind. Every job that I've ever taken has been with the goal of making stories somewhere down the line. So I, as soon as I graduate, I got a job doing content management uh, because I'm right, hey, at least I'm writing something. Every job that I took since then has been like aiming a little bit closer. And uh, when I took the job here at Wizards, I started as a community manager. So I was doing social media stuff. And yeah, as soon as I learned that there are people who write actual words in the building, I basically just like, hey, uh, I can provide you guys a sample story. And again, my, my best advice to you would just be to make things. Like if you want to tell stories, tell stories as often and frequently as you can. Write it down and document it. Uh, being able to have proof, like a portfolio of, yeah, I'm a writer. Look, I've been writing. Uh, It's easy to say, I'm a writer, uh, without having actually written anything for years. Like, make time to tell stories. Make time to do the thing that makes you happy. Yeah, the different, like, a writer is someone who writes. Um, uh, I have a a four-year-old daughter, and it's a conversation that I've been having with her. Uh, You know, she asked me, like, am I an artist? I said, well, do you make art? Do you make art, yeah. She said, yeah. So now she'll sometimes tell me out of the blue, like, mama and I are artists. Yeah, you are? Yes, you are. You make art. A writer is someone who writes. The difference between being a writer and not being a writer mm-hmm. is not what kind of pen you have or whether you hang around in coffee shops. Um, it is whether you are writing. So go do it. Um, yeah, you don't need to wait for your big break before you start making things. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons why my friends and I formed our theater company when we moved down here was because we wanted to make our own stuff. And if no one is making the art that you want to see, you got to do it yourself. Like, you have to take the time to make it happen. Even if you only have like five bucks for props, even if you only have your crappy laptop you've had for eight years, you can write on that and you can make amazing things with that if you just put your time to it. Yep. Uh, and as far as actually getting here, um, uh, f- from me, just insert pretty much the opposite of everything Allison said about how she got here, <laughs> but her way is better and you should do what she said. <laughs> I, at, at its core, like, yeah, no, like, get good, like, make good stuff, show it off, and, uh, yeah, find other people to get on board. 
Cool. Sorry that get good is like my get, best advice. Get good. Get good, scrub. No. Uh, but I, I, do, I, do think, I do think the pursuing related fields, I mean, yeah, that is something yeah. I did. You know, I was an editor for many years. I had Blake's job, uh, in fact, although we never got to talk into microphones when it was my job. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so the, I moved into editing because I would be working with language, because I would be working with writing mm-hmm. and writers and learning more about a different side of the craft, yeah. um, which was incredibly useful to me. My time, my time as an editor was super useful. So not quite the opposite of, of what Allison said. Um, but close, it, yeah. it wasn't creative. It didn't, it didn't feel creative. I wrote a poem about how uncreative it felt. Um, <laughs> that is true. Um, but uh, but it, it, it did lead me here just as surely as a writing job would have, and it didn't stop me from writing in the meantime. And I think you find that a lot at Wizards in general. Is that yeah. people start in uh, adjacent fields, or, yeah, totally, or fields that are, are are similar to what they want to do or what they end up doing at Wizards? Yeah, but um, that's just kind of a way to get where they want. Yeah, to be. if you can bring something different, then and mm-hmm. show that you're good. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You also have to really want to do the job that you are hired for. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And in fact, you know, it, it, uh, you'll learn a lot that way. Um, I have done many different jobs within the building, and I am better at each job that I've had because I had the ones before it. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm a better writer because I know how to read how the community reacts, yep, what they want. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that, that, you know, I see in your approach to stories all the time. So, you yeah. know, don't come in, don't come in thinking like, well, I'll get hired for this and then Bam! I'm off to the creative team. That's that's nope. not how you want to yeah. do it. You need to be good at it, and you need to be committed to it. Um, get good, but, scrub. Get good, but um, but if it isn't, you know, if if there's something you're good at and can come in the building and do, and it's not your ultimate ambition, that's okay. It's okay, really. You have my permission to apply. <laughs> uh, well, let's go back to Allison's time as a community manager. Hi. Um, so you you're good at the internet. Yes. Yeah. So yes. You, you do read a lot of a lot of fan theories. I read a, a lot ton. of so many. So deep in that. So uh, yeah. when you're when you're reading them, most of them are wrong, or oh, yeah. a good percentage of oh, them yeah, are totally. wrong. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. But what? How, how do you feel when you stumble upon one that's that's correct? When someone picks up on something or guesses correctly? It's my favorite thing in the universe. I have a I have a file folder on my desktop um, where I save screenshots of people who got it right. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. And usually, like if it's on Reddit, it's been like downvoted to hell, and there's like five people telling them no, ju- no jerk, those are totally wrong. And like if it's on Tumblr, it has like maybe two notes. Uh-huh. But no, those people are precious. Yeah. And being able to predict things is cool. Uh, yep. It is. I, n- I never feel like, oh, rats, they figured it out. Like, no, it's it's more of like a, yes, that means that they're reading the subtext. They're they're analyzing my literature correctly. Yay, good. Yes. They yes. remembered 10th grade English. Ha ha. <laughs> I don't remember 10th grade English, but uh, but yeah, that's, it's very, very satisfying to know that we have given enough clues that what we are yeah. doing will not seem out of nowhere, but not so many clues that it's it's everyone. You know, exactly. when, I, when when everyone guesses correctly, that's really that's really boring to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, totally. but when when there's that one crazy person who who gets it, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's also uh, really fun when people have completely insane theories. Oh I gosh, loved yes. loved the run up to Eldritch Moon. Um, watching people circle pictures of hats um, and how they were shaped like Eldrazi. Oh, my gosh. Uh, as a community oh. manager at the time, I, I wanted I, nothing but death. But yes. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, I don't say that to make fun of you guys. I, I, lo- I, I love that passion. I, I love it. Um, and and that, it was, that it was up the wrong tree, and I knew it was the wrong tree, mm-hmm. and I got to feel smug about it. But, like, it, it was amazing to watch, yeah. wrong or right. Um, the, thing, the thing I hate, the only, the only thing I hate when I see a fan theory is when I see a fan theory, I'm like, oh, that's really good. 
Oh. <laughs> it's too late, but I wish you were. I, I wish you were right. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen very yeah. often. But every once in a while, I was like, oh, that's. Oh, that's actually that's really good. good. Oh, yeah. Dang. yeah. Oh well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for for every one of those though, there's uh, you know 10 million people just having a good time. Like <laughs> that's that's what fandom is for. It's for like playing the game of trying to figure out. Or sometimes it's just for like going along for the ride. And both of those are correct. And both of those are fun. Like yeah. you get to choose how to be a fan. And your fandom, your fandom is part of what sustains us in exactly. doing this. Yeah. Uh, those reactions are of, of of many different kinds. Are are mostly they're very rewarding. Yeah. I mean, my my interactions with our fans have just been incredibly positive. Some of my fans are close friends now. Like, yep. yeah, it's yep. yeah. Keep keep feeding us cool theories and fan art, and we'll spit out stories and stuff. And keep a folder on our and keep on our a desktop. weird little folder that we'll never like reveal to the public. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can you guys think of any examples of a time where you thought you were slightly hinting at something and mm. everybody figured it out or the other side where you uh, thought you were strongly hinting at something mm. and nobody figured it out? Uh, so for one where everybody figured it out, um, uh, the the, uh, the Eldrazi in the room is Emmercool. Um, mm. You know, that wasn't that wasn't Mar- something... Lage. Uh, Mar- <laughs> the Merit Lage. The Merit stuff was... That was very funny, um, but uh, you know, it was it was it was generally accepted within within the community of people who were paying attention a little earlier than I would have liked yeah. um, that it was Emrakul. And like to be fair, like that's not something that we really tried to hide. I mean, there are a lot of clues to it in SOI, and um, mm-hmm. e- even though the hat was not a clue, um, those tentacles <laughs> in the clouds actually were. They so were, yeah. um, there there were a lot of clues. Um, and and it doesn't bother me that people got them. You know, it's it's when when there's the big reveal is something that everybody already knows. That's no fun. Um, as far as something where I, I, I think got we're an being, opposite. Yeah. Okay. Go for uh, it. So the opposite for me was um, when we first announced Amenket. Uh, like when we first said, "Yeah, this is Nicol Bolas is playing. It's Egypt. Check it out." Uh, a lot of the reaction was, "Yeah, everyone here is evil. This whole like he made this plane. He's in charge of this place. Everyone on there sucks. Let's get rid of it." And the joy of being the creator in that moment was knowing that what makes this place terrifying is that that is not the way it happened at all. That this was a place that was good, and this was a place that was healthy and happy. And what makes Nicol Bola so terrifying and so terrible is that he was able to make an entire people forget that. And and uh, to the credit of the world builders of Amonkhet, that mm-hmm. that misdirection is very much built in. Yes, um, yes. and built into the Kaladesh story totally. as people are talking about. We're gonna go to Amonkhet, you guys, and oh, Johnny's yeah. saying it's gonna be it's gonna be terrible. Don't go. Um, Liliana clearly nervous about it. Even Liliana, mm-hmm. um, you know, we 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 did set that up to a small degree, and I yeah. think people picked up on it in a big way. And so that reveal of like no, Amonkhet's actually a nice place was was really satisfying. Yeah. It's not something I saw a lot of people... Yeah, for, for me, it's a really nice contrast to the dread of uh, Innistrad that we had just seen. Um, it's sort of a different sort of dread and horror. It, with Innistrad, it was very much like, wah, tentacles in your face, wah, body stuff, it's really gross. But the, the dread of Amenket is the idea that this is not only something that we did not expect, it's something that we, as the readers, know is real and know can happen. Uh, and... Yeah. That kind of terror is something that is really fun to uh, fun to explore. It's, it's I mean, terror isn't fun, but it's a type of fear that I don't think we've really seen uh, in Magic so far. Cool. Well, let's bounce around a little bit more. Um, does the creative team have input on when a set is still in the design phase? And the other side, basically, what's your relationship like with uh, the card set team? It's a lot of healthy back and forth. 
It is uh, it is collaborative and iterative mm-hmm. more now than ever. Absolutely. Um, so it, it, I forget exactly how many back and forths there are now, but there's a stage where creative does some initial mm-hmm. work based on the kind of top line idea and then hands it over to an exploratory design team that does some work to figure out what that might mean on cards and then hands it back to creative for an exploratory world building phase where we get mm-hmm. into the nitty gritty of like, okay, really what would this look like? Um, and then back to design, and then from there, design and creative are kind of working in parallel, but with with a lot of talking to each other through through the whole way. Yeah. So and uh, that progress is also starting to move like even further forward. Like right now, we're working on characters that you won't see for a while, but we already have like backstories and stuff all prepared for them too. And there's cool stuff that happens there. Um, to give you an example, uh, the uh, Gear Hulks in Kaladesh were not an original part of the world building. Um, and uh, that was something that design came to us and said, hey, we, we want to have these things in the set. What are they? And in the course of answering that question, we came up with these really cool color-aligned kind of mecha things, and then we were able to pull that into the Kaladesh story, and, and not mm-hmm. only are they in the card set, but they are important in the story. Deploying the gear hulks is a big part mm-hmm. of, you know, what the consulate does that's so that's so devastating and, and off-putting. Um, so th- that pollination is, is through the whole process, start to finish, and it's, uh, it's, really, it's really fun to do. Cool. Well, let's... Um Let's move on to Amonkhet. The rest of our questions are all Amonkhet flavored. Um, I'm, I'm going to start with kind of a fun one. Sure. Where do Amonkhet babies come from? Uh, remember what I said earlier about all that dread and terror and fun stuff? Uh, the the answer to where do Amonkhet babies come from uh, is not a fun one. <laughs> uh, the answer is that... Uh, Mothers do not raise their children uh, on Amonkhet. The entire purpose of your living is to train to the best of your abilities. Um, and so for the most part, the uh, the wide-aligned mummies that you see, not only do they serve as uh, servants, but they also uh, do a lot of the child caring. Um, a lot of the viziers also offer their expertise in some of like the you know early things that kids need in order to grow up. But the parents do not raise their biological children. Um, and a, a, a person who is pregnant uh, can still, like, train and compete up to, like, two or three months, like, into their pre- pregnancy. Like, like Serena like Williams. Like Serena Williams. Yeah. One, you know, yeah. yeah. Like, you yeah. can achieve fantastic things while also making a whole person. Yeah. Uh, and there is time set aside within the sequence of the trials mm-hmm. um, that at least could be used to do that. Uh, I believe it is uh, – there's a several-year stint at Runus's Green Trial of Strength mm-hmm. um, where they're living there and training and growing stronger. And I, I think yes. probably – um, the the gestation and birth of children is happening at that point, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it is the mummies who take care of them, and it's it's interesting to think about what that would do to those kids. Yeah. No no faces, no voices around them. Yep. Um, you know there are the viziers there, but it would be more of a formal education for yeah, them. Yeah, they would than, be in charge of language and stuff right, like that. But they would teach them rather right. than just kind of picking it up. Exactly. Um, it, 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 it's a very alien place. Yes, it is. And uh, it's, again, something that is not natural to the plane. Um, this was not always this way. Well, speaking of not natural to the plane, uh, the next question asks, uh, the natives of Amonkhet were susp- initially suspicious of the Gatewatch, mm-hmm. and then they got a catcher's blessing, and then the people were no longer suspicious. Aren't the people curious where they came from? Yeah. I think they're curious, but at the same time, if a god tells you, hey, this person's cool, 
Like, I'd believe them. <laughs> and curiosity is not a virtue on Amonkhet. It no, is, it's not. Um, something We talked a lot about how to handle that scene where the Gatewatch arrives right. because often on these worlds they're able to kind of pass it off. as like, oh, we're from a faraway land. Oh, That's of course. A, you know, sort of like in, yeah. in the next generation when they time travel, Star Trek the next generation when they time travel, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, the android's a little weird because he's from France, you know, whatever. We're from a far <laughs> off place. But they couldn't do that here because there is no far off place. There is nowhere mm-hmm. else but the city. Yeah. But that also means that the people of Amonkhet have no mental framework for being suspicious of someone from somewhere else. Yeah. Like, well, you're here, so I guess you belong here because if you didn't belong here, you wouldn't be here. Yeah, and I imagine that uh, Bolas would have uh, imparted on the gods that, hey, uh, there may be some people from somewhere else. Be nice to them. And just sort of leave it at that. Maybe. Maybe. Um, last question, last Amonkhet question mm-hmm. anyway. Are we going to get any more information regarding the three dead gods of Amonkhet, um, or are they lost to Bola's distortion of the plane's history? Maybe maybe start with a little background on, on the three dead gods. And Sure. Uh, so when uh, Nissa and Chandra were uh, uh, scooching around, scooching around town trying to find out, hey, what's this place about? They found a uh, wall in the city on one of the oldest buildings and recognized that uh, the horns of Bolas were freshly caught. Carved. Uh, basically, everything they had seen that had the mark of Nicol Bolas uh, was new. Uh, they were all new buildings, but there existed all of these old writings, old hieroglyphs. And they re- they figured out that, oh, this like Nicol Bolas has not been here this whole time. He showed up and he did something to amend all of this history and all these things that we see written before us. Uh, and one of the things that were documented were the eight uh, benevolent loving gods of Amonkhet. And uh, eight is kind of funny since they know that there are only five gods now. Uh, It it seems an awful waste to get rid of three entire gods, don't you think, Kelly? I think that would be wasteful. That would be very wasteful. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you. That was the the last question from our readers. Um, But if they have more... And I know you guys love answering questions on the internet. Always, yeah. What is the best way for people to ask you questions? Uh, I think the best way for right now is to ask us on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at MTG Allison. Uh, and I'm at Kelly Diggs, all one word. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, the, for right now, that is the best way to contact us. Cool. Well, that is all we have time for today. So thank you both, Allison and Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and thanks to everyone who's listening and for joining us on this special episode of the Magic Story Podcast. Uh, we plan to continue doing these every now and then, so just watch our, our Twitter feeds. I'm sure Allison will let you know next time we do one of these. Always do. Um, for any uh, <laughs> any more of these that are upcoming, um, you can also get notifications through iTunes or on our RSS feed on dailymtg.com. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.